Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your god. Welcome, boneheads one and all, to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your source for the best in RPG interviews. I am your host, Dungeon Master and King of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and today I am joined by a couple of really cool, awesome game creators. Uh, they've got a new project that is coming to Kickstarter very soon. Uh, they are part of a collective known as Game and a Curry, and the project is Zhengxi Blood in the Banquet Hall. It is a combination TTRPG role-playing game, uh, board game, set in the Roaring Twenties in a Chinatown setting. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Banana Chan and Sen Fung Lim. Welcome. Hey there. Hey, everyone. I, I feel like I should be from Parts Unknown, weighing it at 235 pounds. <laughs> that was pretty, that was like, that was, that, can you cut promo? Are you are you a wrestling fan? <laughs> I am a wrestling fan. I'm, well, a, hu- I, I'm a huge wrestling fan. That's that's kind of how uh, John Hambone McGuire and I bonded when, when he did oh, the okay, show cool. with Stu. Uh, you know, we bonded over wrestling. We actually recently did a wrestling episode talking about a Ooh. WWE RPG. Right. But I'm so much of a wrestling fan that I spent three months, much to my wife's chagrin, trying to become a professional wrestler. What? Yeah. That's awesome. No way. That's, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> so, so Sen, how, how like deep into wrestling would you Am consider I? yourself? Yeah. I, I, I made a WWE official licensed game. Okay. Sweet. What, so what I know, game I, did you work on? I worked on uh, WWE Headlock Paper Scissors. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. which is a not a reskin. It's actually a whole remake of one of my other games, Dungeons and Dragons, Rock Paper Wizards. So, um, oh. I I like um, I like wrestling a lot. I grew up wrestling. I'm a wrestler. Like mm-hmm. I competitively wrestle and do martial arts and jujitsu and stuff like that. So I've I've wrestled all my life. Gotcha. Um, but just no like like you know sunset flips and things like that. <laughs> I can actually do them, but not for real. Not like in a match. That mm-hmm. would be illegal. So. I did. I did not know that you'd worked on Rock Paper Wizards. My yeah. old D and D group and I got a whole lot of fun out of that. In, ah, uh, thanks. That's awesome. Some game sessions. So yeah, that definitely a great product. I was just making sure you didn't work on this thing, uh, WWE. Oh. Know your role because no. uh, Hambone and I kind of tore this thing a new one. <laughs> no, that's that's okay. And uh, I, I, I uh, it's it's funny. Licensed products are like my bread and butter. So. <laughs> I do a lot, a lot of them, um, but I, I do them well, and some people just don't um, for, for various reasons, right? It's a very interesting um, subgenre or sub-industry part of the industry where if you don't know how to actually handle a license, you can go 
very bad, very fast, and then have no time within your contract to actually do good work because you're limited and then you have to actually sell the thing or liquidate. Mm -hmm. So if you're spending a lot of money on like a license like WWE, which is in you know, the tens of thousands of dollars, because its market penetration is huge, um, and you can't get good game devving done in time, um, you're going to end up with a crap product and you're going to sell it. You're going to have to sell it. Otherwise, you are going to take a huge loss on your investment. Mm -hmm. So I, I get why it happens. It's just sad that it does, especially with something that is as you know revered as WWE for people of our age who would be role players mm -hmm. who also love like WWE. Like we're the people who understand the things like, you know, what kayfabe actually is, mm -hmm. right? And we, we get that. Um, and I mean, and besides, I mean, they really, I don't know if you, they needed to make one after worldwide wrestling was made anyway, but hmm. you know, cause that's kind of up here in terms of, of, uh, that meta level of, of wrestling oh, yeah. that I think role players actually want to play about. So, mm -hmm. yeah, but the reason why I asked is, and, and I've talked about this on the show before, but I was, uh, I was training under a guy who wrestled in wwe as an enhancement talent uh mr number one george south i don't know if you've heard of no. him but he trained cedric alexander he trained tessa blanchard mm -hmm. and he helped with the training of the revival and the hardy boys so oh cool he was the he was the guy to train uh with but it turns out you have to be talented to make a living <laughs> in professional wrestling so not just good looking <laughs> turns out you also have to be good looking. oh okay <laughs> so guys so, oh, yeah, I'm sorry i was like just wondering like bananas like sitting there during our wrestling chat she's like <laughs> just like nodding see i played i played the powered by the apocalypse uh wrestling game and that's like <laughs> it for me with wrestling <laughs> gotcha. gotcha well in the interest of talking about the product that you guys have and and including banana in the conversation <laughs> here too, uh, we, we should probably dive right in. Guys, I ask these questions to everyone. So uh, banana, I'll let you take it from the top uh, just because, you know, Sen and I have been uh, bogarting the conversation <laughs> so far. How did you get into RPGs? Uh, so I started playing role-playing games uh, when I was very little in high school. Uh, like most people, right? Everyone got into role-playing games in high school. I played Dungeons and Dragons, uh, but I didn't really get into RPGs until I played uh, Monster Hearts by Avery Alder. And by into, I mean, I didn't fully, I wasn't fully invested and I wasn't like, I should like write these. I should like, you know, uh, you know, make my own and make my own world and whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how I got my start. Uh, Avery Alder's Monster Hearts I played when I was probably like maybe in my early to mid 20s. And then from there on, I was just like, yeah, this is a thing. I'm going to start making weird games. Um, and then I started writing weird LARPs for Golden Cobra Challenge. Uh, I made two LARPs for that. And haven't looked back since i've just been making like weird games gotcha gotcha yeah and uh and sen what about you i started in the basement of my local college in sault ste marie ontario when i was six years old so i started playing chainmail uh which is before D, &D was D, &D because i was really young so uh that was 42 years ago uh when i started playing role-playing games 
and um, I played role-playing games all the way through until, oh, wow, um, probably end of university. And then after that, I kind of got serious about school after the end of university. Uh, and then I went back for more university. I was in university for nine years. And um, during that time, I got out of role-playing games because they just took way too much time. Um, and so the last couple of games that I played were probably like Shadowrun was probably and uh yeah i don't like shadow run was probably the last sort of book that i bought uh and stuff for shadow run <clears throat> so that tells you the era in which i ended my rpging and for the the since between like maybe two or three years ago and when i stopped all i was doing was board games because it was just easier as an academic to actually go and you know play a couple hours of board games and not think about that because for me role-playing games like live in my head and I think about my characters and I draw pictures of them and I write like I usually play a bard so I'm usually like writing songs and stuff like that mm. and um yeah so I kind of nerd out a little too much and board games don't do that so for me a board game I finish it I play it done I'm done except I got into Magic the Gathering which then became my life mm. uh, and then I sold yeah. all my Magic Gathering the cards paid for my next degree with magic, Whoa. literally, I, I I sold all my magic cards to a collector in Italy for uh, like something like seventeen thousand dollars at the what? time. Well, now if you looked at my collection, that would, it would probably be a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of cards. Oh god. Yeah. Well, I had everything. Every like I had four of every card from every set from when I started until when I finished, mm -hmm. which was a lot of cards. Um, which is a great thing and a horrible thing about magic. But anyways. Um, long story short, how I got into design of board games was that I, I was adjacent to, by being a board game designer primarily, I was adjacent to a lot of tabletop stuff in general. And I thought, oh, I should get back into role-playing games. And uh, some of my good friends in board game design, <coughs> excuse me, are also into role-playing games, uh, like uh, Jonathan Gilmore, uh, you know, uh, Ryan Scroon. All those, all people like that who made, you know, Gears of Defiance and Kids on Bikes, and they would ask me to write stuff for them because it's like I don't have time to do this whole RPG thing, but yeah, I'll write you an adventure, and it kind of just got to the point where I was included in lots and lots of Kickstarters as, you know, a, an adventure writer, mm -hmm. and I really enjoyed it. I wrote a bunch with my kids, which was super fun, um, and then we sort of fell into each other, Banana and I, as mm -hmm. you know two Asian Canadian uh, game designers who wanted to write about Asia <laughs> or Asian things, right? Yeah. I think that's how we met too. Like we met through Kids on Bikes probably or probably. something I mean, like that. Probably yeah. that. I mean, I know exactly when I started picking up on things you were doing was all the Golden Comber stuff, um, the, the vlog one, which is great. Um, oh, and I just kind of said, oh, this is what role playing is now. It's not like 17 hours of, you know, me in the basement with my friends and some miniatures <laughs> and stuff. By the way, I can't paint miniatures, so I really don't like those types of role playing games either that, you know, need a miniature thing or want a miniature thing. Mm -hmm. I'm much more in the theater of the mind. So, when I was watching uh, Banana's vlog for the game, which was the Golden Cobra winner of the year when I watched like 2 years ago, 3 years ago, um, it's like that's what I want to do. I can do that kind of stuff. And they, they won't, you know, take up years and years of a campaign 
and it still is creative and fun and role playing and um so it kind of reinvigorated me to look into this you know modern newfangled role playing style of story gaming and kind of got hooked from there like all the apocalypse world stuff fiasco um lady lady blackbird uh, all the all these rich things that were created in you know weeks put out online on two pieces of paper as a pdf spend five bucks you look at it you read it you play it and then it's like yes let's do more of that or let's find another one that is as interesting and as invigorating uh and i, I have to say that uh, another system that was very big to get me back in was dread uh mm -hmm. because oh, it's just super yeah. accessible right and we had talked a little bit a little bit mm -hmm. about epidia before when we were off offline and i was saying like i was playing wolf spell on Sunday morning with Jonathan Lavallee and Kurt Covert and a couple other people um, from Smirk and Dagger and whatnot. And just like, it's just brilliant little games like that that are like, you know, 30, 40 bucks and have like really rich and driven, story-driven, narrative-driven gameplay mm -hmm. uh, where the players have some control over the storyline. Uh, like it's not super OSR. And that's what I like. That's what I really like because I like telling stories, both as a game master and a player. And I want to write systems that do that. Gotcha. Gotcha. I did not realize that you had such a, a history with gaming, and I hope you don't take this as an insult. I assumed you were my age, and I'm oh. 24 <laughs> years old. I am exactly oh. twice your age. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Alrighty. And people generally think that I'm 32, so... People generally think I'm 12, so... <laughs> I'm 31. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, people People have been thinking that I'm somewhere between 28 and 30 since I was 16, so... Oh, wow. Yeah, hopefully that doesn't uh, come back to bite me uh, as I approach my 30s. <laughs> Oh no, you'll you'll grow old gracefully. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So, when it comes to the RPGs that you guys have played or, you know, since there's heavy board game influence in this project and you know, send you've got a a big background in board games, what would you say your favorite game is? Oh, jeez. Banana, go ahead. Oh gosh. Okay. Um uh right now, I really like Alice is Missing. Um, oh, are we talking about board games or RPGs or in general? Okay. Um, I really like Alice is Missing. I really like, uh, uh, that's by Spencer Stark. Um, and I also really like, uh, As We Know It by Avon Alias. Um, let me think, what else do I like? Uh, oh, God. there's so many. Yeah, these are all just like LARPy, semi-LARPy, semi-role-playing things like they're they kind of use tabletop elements but it's mostly like very larpy uh they both use a phone so you're like texting um and i think that that's like what's cool about these games because they're so immersive like you're using your actual phone to communicate with one another and there aren't that many like there are tools to play but there aren't like you know sheets and sheets of characters stuff mm -hmm. or like you know tons of lore that you have to know like everything is all there and it's accessible and you know what you're doing yeah. so those are the two games that i really enjoy right now gotcha 
Um, <clears throat> let me think. I like uh, games where you lie and bluff a lot. Uh, Banana <laughs> likes games where she gets to be sad. Um, mm -hmm. This is true. Um, <laughs> so I also like games that make me feel things, which is weird because I never used to as a, as a younger kid. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess I've matured as I got old. I don't know. Um, and so more and more I'm thinking about, you know, what would a game that makes me feel this be? And so I think... Uh, Dread, like I said before, has a really special place in my heart for that feel that like, oh, this feels mm -hmm. like tension and anxiety about the pull. Um, mm -hmm. So I think Dread for me is definitely up there in terms of role playing games, which is hilarious because Jenga is also up there for me in terms of like tabletop <laughs> games. Uh, and because I believe Jenga is a perfect product, so or as close to a perfect product in tabletop as you're going to get. Um, and th those are fighting words for some people I know, but you know, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm very skilled. So I, I have, I have like fight plus three, so I can take them. Awesome. Yeah. This is like the third or fourth episode in a row where someone has mentioned dread being up there for them. So I'm definitely going to have to check that out. Oh, you haven't played yet? I have not. Oh, it's awesome. Dread so yet. I don't, I don't want to like, you know, make it too like, Put it up on too much of a pedestal, but have fun. You'll enjoy it. Awesome. All right. So going back to those early days of playing, you know, banana uh, D and D for you, and then uh, chainmail. If if you, you know, kind of remember those characters that you were playing uh, back in those early days, Sen. Uh, but who was your first character, or who was your first memorable character? So my first character for D&D, I was that uh, I was that, a terrible kid um, <laughs> and I was trolling the GM the entire time uh, because I didn't want to be there. Um, I wanted to drink beer and be like a stupid teenager, um, but uh, I played a barbarian. Um, so that was my first character. I vaguely remember what the setting was, but I do remember for Monster Hearts, I was playing a werewolf. So um, it, it's kind of ironic because the character that I played uh, for Monster Hearts is like another asshole teenage kid um, <laughs> who's like this, you know, beautiful werewolf who does terrible things. So that's that's what I remember. Gotcha. Um, I said I played a lot of uh, bards, um, but that's only as of late, like um, like later in my my, my high school years, I think. Uh, but I would almost always play a ranger. I liked rangers for some reason. Mm -hmm. um, I, I grew up uh, way up north in Canada, and so rangers sort of just felt natural to me. Um, I also was I was never big on the magic rules in D and D, like the somatic components and the physical uh, components and too much the work. gestural <laughs> components and the vocal component, and the... so I didn't want to play anything that did that. But I liked the effects of the things they did, and so rangers have all these kind of neat little effects that they can do. Just these little things that you gain every every couple levels that are fun. Uh, fighters are pretty boring. I would also play a lot of rogues. Um, I like sneaking around and stealing things. Um, and I'm not really much of a fighter. Like, I don't like dungeon crawls, like, almost at all. My favorite, there's, okay, so I have two favorite adventures. Uh, the first is Barrier Peaks, because it's just freaking weird. Uh, we have, like, Veggie Pygmies and Needler Guns and a spaceship that crashed. You have to go explore it. That's awesome. 
mm-hmm. uh, because it's not like tropey D and D. That's why I liked it. And then my second one uh, was this one that Mike Selinker, who is from Lone Shark Games, um, made in a Dragon magazine. And I talked to Tom about it on my Facebook page like two years ago. I said, hey, Mike, did you write this thing? Because it says, it says you write this thing. It's my favorite module of all time because you play detectives in a city <laughs> using like your spells. So those stupid spells that I would always take, like if I was a magic user or something, I'd take the goofy spells like, you know, Featherfall and, and uh, you know, Purify Water and stuff like that. <laughs> and these are spells that would be actually be useful in a setting like, you know, a city where, you know, I purify water just in case mm-hmm. there's poison in it, as opposed to, you know, a dungeon where, like, if I didn't have a fireball, I was pretty much the most useless magician ever, right? So <laughs> I just I just find dungeon crawls are very one-note, typically, mm-hmm. as people play them and as people GM them. Um, they're they're fun, don't get me wrong, but they're they're kind of one note for the kind of style of play that I'm really looking for. So yeah, anyway. And Elfie, that scroll of glitter ended up being extremely useful. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking. You guys took out a beholder with it, so. Ooh, well, you know, see, I could see mechanically how the glitter in the air would like reflect all its beams back at it. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was basically. Um, I ended up on a uh, a treasure generator for a different edition, and they ended up with a scroll of glitter dust, which I think was a spell from 3.5 or 3e. And so I basically made it uh, the blindness deafness cantrip from uh, 5e, and they ended up in an arena battle with a full-on beholder, and they had the the foresight to say, all right, this is, you know, we're going to use this. It'll be blindness on the beholder so we can't uh, do the anti-magic field. And they've been holding on to it since, like, session four. <laughs> just, just for the right time to use it. Yep. Checks out. <laughs> I'm glad they got to use it, though. I'm glad Me it was too. effective. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So... Those of us who, you know, run a lot of games and, you know, have, have been doing this for a while, a lot of times we end up reusing NPCs and some of them become kind of crowd favorites. Do either of you guys have, uh, like, a forever NPC that shows up in a great number of your games? I always use... I have a Steve. <laughs> I was just going to say, she has a Steve. <laughs> Wait, you know about this too? Well, I mean, Steve is always the default name you go for when you have to name a character. You always what? name Steve. I don't no. know. You just do it. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I know. I do it. I do it a lot. <laughs> I, <laughs> I no, so so I don't. I don't know if it's the same Steve, but it's always Steve as a name. Steve comes in many forms. Uh, Steve sometimes comes as a robot. Um, I wrote a Steve into uh, Warp's Edge, which is a uh, a solo board game put out by Renegade. There's a Steve in that. Was um, it a robot in that one? It yes, yes, Very they cool. were a robot in that one. Uh, they're also a robot in another game that I'm writing on for Renegade that I can't talk about. But there's a Steve. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's a lot of Steves for me. <laughs> gotcha. I I don't really have one. I I. I I don't think I've played in or uh, GM'd a campaign long enough to have like a, char- a recurring character that always pops up in, oh, like, in that kind of work? way. 
like in general <laughs> oh like in general is there a tro is there like i mean there's more tropes than anything like there's always like the like the you know the nerdy kid or something like that there's always like that kind of person in, the, in my games mm-hmm. um probably just because i like seeing myself in games so. <laughs> it's always gonna be a nerdy kid in it <laughs> and and Elfie has said that her default name is Ferdinand. I've always, Elfie, I've always seen your uh, your default name as either uh, Frederick or Alexander, but I I am not living inside of your head. I'm just married to you, so. <laughs> I think Fred, Frederick and Alexander together combine into a Ferdinand anyway, so. Yeah, yeah. And so... You know, we've we've already heard a little bit about this, but just to kind of elaborate on this, how would you guys describe your play styles, both as players and as GMs? Oh, that's a good question. Banana, what's your play style? Uh, as a player, um, depending on who I'm playing with, I try to lightly troll. I don't try to troll too much. Um, when Sen is GMing, I try. I'm very good. I'm like really good at being a non-troll. She's okay. <laughs> she, she's much. She's much worse when I am not GMing. <laughs> when there's a That's GM true. who's just like, okay, like we're friends, like we've known each other for a long time, like years and years, um, then I have a tendency to troll them. <laughs> Yeah, she she's what my other friends would describe as a griefer, <laughs> a griefer player, like just somebody who just yep. gives the GM reason to like shake their head all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I like, why are we doing this? Why are you doing this? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, as a player, I am I'm the one that talks a lot, as you, as you can probably tell. Uh, I like to explain everything that I'm doing as a character, um, kind of. I, th- I think that's why I play bards and um, and rogues a lot, like just rogues in general, because you have to describe what they do because it's not as simple as, you know, I hit them with my sword or I cast a fireball. It's it's very subtle and you want to describe all the little things that you do. So uh, that has really dictated my my character style as I've as I've gotten older, um, moving away from like the fighters and the rangers more towards like rogues these bards that kind of thing never those clerics don't like those clerics <laughs> and as a gm what, what what do you like as a gm banana what do you think uh i don't know i guess i'm like more well i like collaborative storytelling so i would say collaborative mm-hmm. occasionally i mess with my players but that's you know i i dial it back a lot more when it's when it's gming yeah Banana's playing in one of my games right now. Uh, so she can tell you what I'm like as a GM. I think you're a collaborative storyteller too. You're like very, uh, you ask a lot of questions, I think. Like yeah. you do that thing where you ask questions, but you like set the, you you plant the seeds and then you let us fill in the rest, like gaps, you know? I think mm-hmm. that, I think that's kind of kind of my style. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's sort of, I like people to find their own truths um that's my that's my therapeutic milieu as well i'm a therapist and so i do that with a lot of the people that i work with uh, in general is like plant a seed and let them follow the breadcrumbs to their own truth mm-hmm. uh, like i don't define the truth in the end they'll do it um, but they have to get started somehow and so i think i i do use that 
technique in in GMing. Uh, I I am I am really, I think, I think it's from Masks. Is this in Masks, Banana? Where um, Ryan wrote, I think it's Brian. Whoever wrote Masks, Mark. Anyways, they said um, the GM should be the player's biggest fans. And ever since I read I read that, I think that's sort of been my kind of watchword, my my go to kind of phrase. It's like, I am your biggest fan. I want to hear you do awesome things and see you do awesome things, mm-hmm. uh, because it, it needs to be as entertaining for me to be a GM as it is for you to be a player. Uh, and so, the more awesome things you do, the more entertaining it will be for me. So mm-hmm. let's let's get it. Let's get at those awesome things. Absolutely, yeah. Now. I know this can be a tough question uh, because a lot of us have so many great memories associated with gaming, but if you guys had to pick like a fondest gaming memory, what would it be? That is a hard question. Um, So I go back to this one a little bit where uh, this is a LARP in Denmark uh last year in october um and it's called baphomet and it's a very intense game uh that i played and um afterwards i had like very heavy bleed uh which is like you know uh taking those experiences afterwards like out of character but you're still feeling like those intense feelings as you were in Mm -hmm. character um and I think that was one of the most impactful games for me um, just because like, so the game itself is about uh, a cult um, from like, I think it was like the twenties or something like that. So similar to like, you know, what we're writing about, but the game itself is um, this uh, high society cult who's trying to uh, summon this, this God, right? And uh, during the game, things will happen. People be uh, will get like quote unquote possessed by these different gods that we've accidentally let into the circle. <laughs> um, hence the name Baphomet. Uh, there's also a necklace for Pan. So there are two necklaces floating around. Anytime you wear the necklace, you're quote unquote possessed, and you're like running around doing like you know godly things. And there was this one point in the game where I was, uh, I had this climax in my storyline. My character ha- has this climax in the storyline where uh, she had just gotten into a fight with her husband. And uh, there was this moment where we had pre negotiated like a lot of the stuff. Like, this is like a very safe game because, like, you know. Uh, a lot of the stuff was done in slow motion mm-hmm. so with LARPs like long-term LARP, like long three or four day LARPs you would always have a day of workshopping before getting actually into the game so uh, during this moment I was on the floor he was like fake kicking my character uh, and then eventually like a whole gaggle of like uh like a whole group of women basically like came up to us and like stormed him away and like took him away and uh let they handed me this knife and i was supposed to perform a human sacrifice um and uh this is like this is again all pre-negotiated very safe (laughs) environment uh to play in and so um but like afterwards like after feeling you know after like experiencing this like 
human sacrifice. Like it was just so empowering because it was like this witch coven had like come together out of nothing and like decided to uh, decided to like go on with this weird ritual thing. Um, so I think that was like one of my favorite <laughs> gaming experiences, if not like LARP experiences. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's up there for me. Gotcha. It's hard to explain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was it was so up there for her that when we talked, like the week after she got back, I think it was a week after we talked for like two hours just about that LARP. Do you remember? It was yeah, it was really good. <laughs> we talked for a long, long time just about that LARP and got into this huge discussion about like uh, like the philosophy and the psychology behind it all. It was really good. Yeah. Um, I don't, I can't compare <laughs> to that. Uh, I rolled a natural 20 once. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, wow. No, uh, I, I think, I think um, my, my, one of my favorite moments, honestly, it actually came from, from Juncture, uh, was when uh, Christian Devine, who was um, one of the playtesters for it, said, and, and she's uh, a, a Latinx person. So she said to us, like, wow this really made me feel like you know I, I you know need to go talk to my grandmother and, and talking about her family and all those things so that was really cool to hear uh people talk about our game bringing up emotions and making them feel and think differently than they were before they played um and for me as a therapist i think that's really interesting that's that's super interesting Another big moment for me was in another game I designed, uh, which is called Ties That Bind, uh, which is about basically the Trump administration separating children from their parents. And that's kind of what it's all about. Um, and I had people tell me that they hated it, but they were so glad they played it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. like, this is making me feel really horrible things. And I'm super glad that I play it, but please don't ask me to ever play it again because it, yeah. it's brought up so much in me, uh, which they weren't expecting because it's just this, it's a, basically, it's a game on, on uh, it's on these, it's on recipe cards. It's <laughs> just one recipe card for, for your character. But that's why it's so powerful because that's all you have. And as the game progresses, you have to like write over the stuff that you were it's like writing over your memories right because what mm -hmm. i wanted to get across to people is that these are traumatic events that change your perception of who you are um and that as you write and write and write you're no longer going to remember your past memories and your past memories were all about things like you know we went on vacation with my my mom to my grandma's farm and that'll get written over with with like you know he stuck a gun right in my mom's face and then at the end in the debrief you ask questions like so just look at your 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 character sheet, character card, and you know, with without thinking about it, what's the first thing that you remember? And invariably, it's one of the bad memories. Yep. And like it's just showing people, like, hey, look, this is what we're doing to these kids. They hmm. are going to be traumatized for life because yeah. of this action. What are you thinking? You know, you know, is this worth? Is it worth this law to? Do this. And it might be legal. This might be legal, but is this justice? And is this fair? Mm -hmm. And is this, you know? And obviously, oh, there's a lot of people out there who say, "Well, it's, they broke the law. They should. This should happen." It's like, you know, maybe not to the kids. How about not to the kids, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, mm -hmm. so I think those have been a couple of really powerful moments for me uh, that I'll remember forever. So gotcha. 
Gotcha. Well, unfortunately, as much as I like to keep it positive on the show, we got to sink the ship a little bit. Uh, but feel free to keep these stories lighthearted because we share the table with all kinds of people. Some of them we really quick click with and love and, you know, even call our best friends for a time. Some people we just don't mesh with, and the the worst offenders we have this term of that guy for. So the uh, the that guy story that you're comfortable sharing on Rolling Bones, uh, go for it. Oh, that's Actually, I got one. Oh, yeah, I know you will. <laughs> I mean, I got plenty, but um, I'm going to stick with one, and that's going to be the game that uh, uh, I that sort of triggered this game for me <laughs> that sort of triggered like junction for me gotcha. um and it was a game that uh was basically uh it was run at uh at a convention a small convention um and the pitch was that uh players were going to name their characters off of a chinese menu and um, basically, like, throw every Asian stereotype in there you got, and that's that's the game. <laughs> and so um, I decided, and my friend was like, hey, at the time, you know, wouldn't it be funny if you went there and trolled them? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And I went in, and it was just not fun. <laughs> I was not expecting it to be, like, so not fun. Um, but I did get free hot and sour soup, so it wasn't all that bad. Um, you know, I would say it was, like, 80% bad, 20% free food, so that's okay. Um, and also, out of that, we got this game, so... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. And, and I think um, because I know the game you're talking about and I know the, yeah. the exact session you're talking about and I know that our friends went and talked to the guy um, in actually at a different con where he was running it. <clears throat> and I, I think because, you know, people have played it that are of the Asian persuasion to, to use a rhyme, a very bad rhyme, um, things might be changing for that game. So who knows? I mean, I hope so. Um, I know, I know that uh, Mendez, for example, was a lot more blunt with him than you probably were, um, and you know, I, I think there, there's definitely he the the designer wasn't like willfully racist. He was just completely casually racist and didn't see anything wrong with it. And that's to me, that's actually the worst kind, mm -hmm. right? It's yeah. like you're 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 just like happy ignorant. This is this is not this is not good. But at least he was open to dialogue, right? And so, yeah, um, he's not that that guy for me because I wasn't in the game. I don't really think I have a that guy because I play with friends. I don't I don't That's do good. a lot of I don't do a lot of con gaming. Uh, and if I do con gaming, because I actually have made a promise to myself to always play um, one game per con, uh, because I'm usually it's I'm usually at cons for business. Uh, and so like at Gen Con, if I go to Gen Con, I am booked solid from eight in the morning till six at night. And then I'm super tired. So I want to, you know, play a couple games and go to bed. And so I decided to every con, I'm going to play one role playing game, whether I GM or another or friend GMs. And so a lot of people who are in the industry that also don't have time to role play, they're like, yeah, let's do this. And so we get together uh, all the time now at cons to do it. And, 
because we, there are no cons right now, we're doing it online. So uh, a bunch of us are, are getting together and still playing, which is good. Gotcha. But yeah, mostly friends. That's good. It's it's always good to hear that some people haven't had many negative experiences with role playing. It's it just kind of restores a little bit of faith. I do have negative experience with board gaming, though. It's really weird. Because, <laughs> well, see, because and this is this is exactly the reason why. It's because I tend to only role play with friends, but I tend to board game very widely uh, with anybody. Because you know, you don't have to be super comfortable with people to role play. Uh, sorry, to to um, play board games. But I find for the style of role playing that I like, that you have to be more comfortable with them. And so there's this one guy. And he was just like, you know, some young kid, maybe in his early 20s. Um, And we were playing with my friend and my friend's like at the time, like nine-year-old son. And this guy, this like 21-year-old kid, was he was that guy for this for sure, was like totally like picking on the nine-year-old and like like actually actively going after him. Oh, no. Yeah, and and my friend, his dad was like, look, we need to have a talk right now you realize he's nine right and the, the kid was like the like the 21 year old kid was defending himself like look all i'm doing i just pick one person and that's the person i pick on it just happens to be him what <laughs> and we're and we're like okay so once this game is done we're, we're gonna ask you to not sit at this table because you know you could do that to me you could do that to this other guy you did this other guy and you happen to pick on this nine-year-old kid like what's going on mm-hmm. right so he was that guy definitely that guy for that yep. one wow yeah that was that was something mm-hmm. um anyway so yeah there, there are totally that guy i haven't you know i don't think i've ever run into a that girl or that woman so that's that's something i guess i, I try sometimes in your games well i mean you try <laughs> but i know i i know you're trying so i, I just like squ- smash that right mm-hmm. also also i know that i have to see you and work with you the next day so <laughs> I mean, I know. yeah, it's only consensual trolling. Yeah, consen- like, consensual trolling is fine. Like if if we're playing like a high comedy game, I expect there to be like hijinks and silliness, right? Yeah. If we're playing like a super serious game and you do that, I might be a little mad at you, but it's, you know, we're friends still. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you're not picking on a nine year old. Oh, no, never. <laughs> gotcha. So that's okay. So the last of these introductory questions before we jump into some of this uh, discussion around this new project, this is one that has flummoxed a few people on the show before. I will tell you that the answer to this question can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. If you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? I mean, I definitely want one that says cite your sources for very many reasons. <laughs> so I'm a psychology professor. And so I would really like that just for school because my students in first year, they're like, just like, they, they just send me a link. It's like, I asked for APA style because <laughs> if you expect to go further in this profession, this is what you will need to do. Um, so cite your goddamn sources. Um, but also in my many, many internet battles with people who are just ridiculous where'd you get that and why do you believe that and are you sure you should be citing from Breitbart or Breitbart or whatever it's called I don't even know because I don't read it because it's an alt-right trolling site um or whatever right so 
I just find people very funny uh, in terms of their supposed knowledge and their lack of critical consumption of, of media. And mm-hmm. it, it's, it, that, would, that would be a shirt that I would definitely want. I mean, they're, they're, it exists. I should go buy it. <laughs> <coughs> but if there was something else, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. What do you want, Banana, on a shirt? Well, I wanted those Soupy Boy shirts. <laughs> oh, well, see, I, I, I have one, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a friend of ours made a whole bunch of uh, soup dumpling shirts that say Soupy Boys on them, and I really wanted one. Uh, but then I forgot about it, and then I disabled Facebook. I'll get back onto it. <laughs> oh, what happened was it was, it was um, supposed to happen at Breakout. Right, yeah, and then Breakout and got canceled. Breakout got canceled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so uh, for those of you who don't know what Soupy Boys are, which is probably everybody out there, <laughs> Soupy Boys are those delicious little Chinese dumplings that have soup on the inside, shilling uh, ball. And they are lovely and wonderful. And so it's, it's, it's me and Jonathan Gilmore and Travis Magrum and Ian Moss and Michael Chang and uh, a bunch of guys who just go out and every time we're at a con, we find a place that has Soupy Boys. Uh, and I'm not sure why we call them that. We also end up also almost always listening to Scatman John while we're driving <laughs> to get these Soupy Boys. So it's become a whole thing. Uh, I know Adrian Azell uh, loves these Soupy Boys as well. So there's lots of us out there in board gaming land and, and uh, probably tabletop role playing land who like the Soupy Boys. So we made a shirt mm-hmm. uh, for Team Soupy Boys. Um, gotcha. I, I I don't know why. I just suggested it one day, and then somebody said, "Oh, yeah, I put it a hashtag, I think." And then somebody <laughs> said, "That should be a shirt," and we so we made it. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Do any of the oh, Soupy and- Boys have fedoras and mustaches like Scatman John? Um, no, but they could definitely pull <laughs> it off. Oh, that's hilarious! No, so you <laughs> you were training to be a wrestler. Uh, also, so did Jim. Do you know Jim from Academy Games? Jim Scooch. I do not Who- know Jim Scooch. So Jim Scooch from Academy Games, um, he uh, he is also one of the Soupy Boys. He is the one who loves Scatman John, and he was also training to be a professional wrestler at one time. So see how it all connects. Absolutely, it all comes back to professional wrestling. Yep. Banana, we'll sit here for another twenty minutes while we talk <laughs> about professional wrestling. All comes back to the squared circle. <laughs> yes, the squared circle. It is the true crucible in which we are forged. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> One, one of my missions, and this is just going to be a quick aside, I promise. One of my <laughs> missions <laughs> on this show, I'm, I'm really good friends with a guy named Gunnar Calloway, who's uh, The Undertaker's son. And, uh, you know, he and I work together uh, at, the, at the same place. Uh, we've gotten to be pretty good friends. He's been on the show a couple times. And I've made it a mission of mine Every time he comes on to find something, some intersection of RPGs and his dad to share with him, <laughs> and I've been able to do it both times that he's come on my shows. Oh, really? What did you? What did you? What did you show him that was based on t- the Taker? So the first time, I actually uh, I did a session with one of my groups where they ended up in the arena, and all of the gladiators that they came across were wwe knockoffs (laughs) and so there was this uh this tiefling named the mortician who was the undertaker but then the other thing i showed him was the stat block for taker in in wwe know your role which he didn't even know existed well why would he exactly (laughs) wait 
have you played worldwide wrestling i have not no, played worldwide wrestling oh, yet but you i really want oh, to oh you have to play worldwide wrestling it's so good it is really good like when i asked you if you could cut promo that's all it's about that's mm -hmm. literally like you <laughs> like you have the fight but the fight isn't to like beat the other person the fight in worldwide wrestling is to put somebody over or get put over right right just like kayfabe stuff right mm -hmm. and so it's um it's really really cool because it, it's kind of like the back scene and the you know the the gm is really just the the, the match maker yep mm -hmm. right? it's really cool anyways get get mm -hmm. play it just play it gotcha you will love it cool well we've got this project that you guys are working on right now so if you had to give an elevator pitch for what this project is mm -hmm. Uh, let's let's go ahead and, and hear that and and move on from there. Do you want me to do the elevator pitch? Yes. Okay. So I'm pointing at you like. Oh, this. are you pointing at me? I can't I tell what you're doing. I don't. Okay. I don't, cool. This. How's this? Okay. That works. Okay. So, Joy Should Blend the Banquet Hall is a tabletop role playing game that is based around a Chinese American family or Chinese Canadian family uh, who are running a restaurant in the 1920s Chinatown. And they are faced with oppression and all the stresses of having to deal with, you know, owning a restaurant or owning a small business in the daytime. And at nighttime, Zhang Shu, hopping vampires slash hopping zombies slash whatever you want to call them, come out and they attack everyone. And you have to try to make sure that they don't, uh, you know, kill off your customer base meanwhile they uh you know you also have to try and make sure you get your sleep you have to make sure you you know stay healthy and uh make sure that you don't turn into a junk shoe yourself yes it's very bad of you do that that's a that guy story as well <laughs> i saw i saw you totally roll your eyes when you said or hopping vampire or hopping zombie whatever yeah i know oh my god <laughs> there's 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 just somebody on twitter who was getting all up in bananas grill about are you sure it's really a vampire? <laughs> I called him out though. I'm pretty sure he was a drunk shit himself. I think so. I think he was yeah. just sucking, sucking your your chi. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that that's that's Jiangshu in a nutshell. Really, it's about immigrant families struggling to survive in a in the 1920s when immigrants were not really welcome mm -hmm. to Canada or America in many many ways and um, struggling and being successful in the face of adversity that's and and really for me the the Zhangshu themselves are very much like an allegory to oppression uh and to all the forces that are trying to hold uh these immigrants down from being successful in a country that you know doesn't really want them there so mm -hmm. that's that's kind of what the game's about gotcha and one, one thing that I find super interesting about this, it's not just confined to a single city. Uh, it looks like you guys have really kind of covered the, the basis here as far as it can be New York, but it can also be San Francisco or Los Angeles, but also Vancouver and Toronto, which yeah. I think adds mm -hmm. some, some interesting flavors there as far as what what the immigrant experience was like in New York as opposed to what it was like in San Francisco and Los Angeles or even in uh, Canada, which I, myself, being American, I'm not super familiar with uh, how that played out in, in Canada during that time. Yeah, so it's, it's different because of different laws and uh, different because of different geographies and 
the numbers of people who immigrated to each specific area are going to be different. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it's also it's also sort of an idea that we want people, especially if they are uh, Chinese themselves, to play in areas where their own family might have immigrated to. Mm -hmm. uh, and those are like the five major like epicenters for mm -hmm. uh, Chinese culture in Canada and America. I mean, there's obviously more. Mm -hmm. uh, there's Chinatowns all over the place. Um, and, you know, at some point, maybe we'll have a source book for those. But they're, they're not really, they're just giving you like little hooks um, to talk about, to, to play with in those various areas. Um, and so that's, it's sort of like, hey, you know what? You don't have to play in San Francisco, which is what we often talk about. Uh, because yeah. it's it's probably the most well-known mm -hmm. Chinatown of the time for many, many reasons. Uh, but the Chinatown in New York is probably older. And the Chinatown in Toronto uh, has been moved like three times, and it's interesting. And there's all sorts of reasons why Vancouver is going to be different because it's on, right on the coast. And, you know, then uh, Toronto is, even though they're both in Canada. Um, and then San Francisco and L.A. are similar but still different right so it's, it's just neat to have those different contexts in which to play gotcha so taking a step towards the mechanical side of things what what does the actual game play look like oh okay uh so i'll start and then banana can can finish and i'll i'll start only because i took a picture of the board last night of the paper board that we used to use that i made oh like, that was i can't <laughs> what a throwback <laughs> yeah it's really funny to see it i just found it in my office the other day oh what's that? oh look it's it's the old portrait <laughs> um and so we had this this idea at the beginning of well there's the first of all there was one big idea that this all started out with was on how to randomize the numbers we had tried to do it with these uh ancient chinese taoist divination tools which are uh, Bei, which are these wooden half moons that can land in four different positions. Mm -hmm. uh, but it didn't work. Uh, well, I mean, it works, but it was just, <laughs> it was super clunky and probably would be way too costly to do. So we, we didn't do it. Uh, but one thing we did end up figuring out was, hey, what if we divided the day into quarters and we run the family through these days because it's very much like what you'd have to do in a restaurant is, in the morning, you literally have to start prep. In the afternoon, now you're in service. In the evening, you're in dinner and cleanup. In the night, you sleep. But mm -hmm. at the dead of night, you're also getting attacked by these Jiangshu, right? Um, and the idea from the board is that you go around in this day to night pattern. And the board also represents your restaurant. The restaurant's almost like another character, like the, the uh, unspoken character in your story. Um, because the the restaurant really gives the family life and safety and security and all those types of things. So <clears throat> the story at the beginning of the day is taking care of the restaurant, preparing the meals for the rest of the day of service. And if you do that well, the restaurant will give back to you as a family. The problem is that when you start getting your energy siphoned away from you by a juncture at night and wake up with like bad dreams and nightmares, or uh, Hmong cards, um, they will cover those things up if you don't deal with them. And now you won't gain the benefits of them. So the board has these areas that say, these are the benefits you get. You get all these benefits, look at all these benefits you have. But as bad things happen, those get covered up. Mm -hmm. um, and they're cards that you can 
cover, uncover, flip, unflip, uh, by doing things and acting in the game. So that's sort of the the general overall process. Um, and we also really utilized uh, Dan Harmon's Story Circle when we uh, looked at how are we? Oh, sorry, that's a different game. Oh, no, that's a different game. Different game. <laughs> I, I almost went off. On, on enough, a total... It's okay. No story circles. Nope. <laughs> I mean, there is a circle. There's a circle in the game. Totally is a circle. Yep. Just not a story circle. <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, um, your dice pool travels with you through the day and you lose dice over time uh, based on your interaction with the uh, junction. The dice system is really simple. It's you, know, you have a pool of dice, and you, the highest one counts. Uh, because it's Chinese, uh, numerology matters a lot in Chinese culture. Eight is the lucky number, so it's a D8. Mm-hmm. But four is an unlucky number. So fours cancel the highest die roll that you have in your pool. And the more fours you get, the more dice get canceled. right? So if you ro- rolled like three eights and a four, you'd still get an eight. But if you rolled like an eight, an eight, a four, a four, and a three, you'd end up with a three. Um, and so your pool changes over time as your, the family pool anyways, changes over time as the Jiangshu uh, affects you and siphon energy from you. But as you are playing the game, uh, you will be able to get personal dice, personal D8s that you can use and you can give to other people. Uh, you can cooperate with people, all that kind of stuff by um, really living out or making moves towards your hopes and dreams becoming reality um, or somebody else's hopes and dreams becoming reality kind of really and that's an important part of the game uh, from my perspective anyways because as a child of immigrants um, I know my parents had a very specific hope and dream for me and my sister when they came to Canada and they they had us we were born in Canada Um, but they had this very specific hope and dream that they sacrificed and sacrificed and sacrificed for us to achieve these dreams. Now, I think they've done it. I don't know. I, my parents aren't super happy with us anyways. I don't know. But uh, at least we achieved their hopes and dreams for us, I think. I think mm-hmm. we did. I think we did. <laughs> my, sis, my sister's a doctor. I'm a professor. I think we did Fair okay. Enough. Yeah, yeah right? absolutely. Yeah. Like Asian parents should be pretty happy with that. But uh, they, the, the idea of sacrifice and the idea of, like immigrant, especially immigrant families, sacrificing um, so that their children can have a better life is at the core of this game in many, many ways. And that sort of mechanically brought out in the hopes and dreams and the interplay between characters helping each other uh, achieve those hope and dreams or even just realizing what those hopes and dreams are and that they might be different. Um, and I think that's that's one of the things that a lot of the players have really talked about. It's like, I, I don't know what my parents' hopes and dreams for me were. I didn't know and now that I'm older they've told me and wow I wish they would have told me earlier and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh, Brandon Atten who is the co-publisher of this with Wet Ink Games said that after he played he thought about it for a day or two then called his mom and talked about his grandmother with his mom for like an hour and then decided we're making this game right because it it touched him in a way that was interesting so that's that's like when I say I like this game for that reason. That's why I like it is because it makes people think and feel. And if games can do that, that's pretty cool. 
Absolutely. Yeah. There's more mechanics though. Go ahead, Banana. <laughs> yeah, so the game itself comes with um, three decks of cards. So you have your restaurant deck, like uh, Simon was talking about earlier, and uh, the restaurant deck is basically made up of chores. And if you can't complete a chore during a day, whether you know your character is too tired or maybe your character uh, has suffered too much damage the day before, then that restaurant card would cover over um, you know, a slot on the restaurant board itself. Uh, so there's that. We also have a deck of Jiangshu cards. So the Jiangshu cards cover up the character sheet itself uh, when characters take damage. And these would be covering up uh, you know, items, facets, skills, uh, things that make up their character. And there are eight, uh, eight slots in total. So when they cover them up, uh, when all of them have been covered up, uh, the character turns into a Jiangshu, and then they start messing, you know, things up for the family. Um, and then the final deck that we have are Hmong cards, Hmong cards. So Hmong means dream in Cantonese. Um, and on the cards themselves are just, you know, just gorgeous artwork of nightmares and terrifying things that the family has dreamed up. So before the morning the, the begins... Teeth, the teeth still oh. haunt me. Yeah, the teeth are... <laughs> Yeah, there's some terrifying, terrifying imagery on those cards. Uh, like, side like, of these, we have a content warning, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. so we there's have some a real nightmare. Warning. There's some real nightmare feel hmm. in there. Yeah, so we have content warnings, and we also have. Uh, we're making sure that you know, if players do have, uh, you know, a line on any specific thing, then we'll make sure that they take these cards out. Um, so these cards, they're uh, the artists that have drawn them up. They're um, Sadia Bees, uh, Jabari Weathers, and Robert Richburg. So they're the uh, artists for those cards specifically. And they're all just like, they're going to be gorgeous. Mm -hmm. um, and they basically represent the nightmares and dreams that the players have had. The ones that are in color are the good dreams. And when players talk about them, they'll be like, oh, you know, I had this great dream. I had a great night's sleep. This gets discarded. But if they had a nightmare, then that stays over your character sheet, covering up the item, facet, skill, what have you, on your, on your character sheet until you can resolve it by talking about it with the rest of the uh, the player characters during the day. Um, so there are three decks. We talked about character sheets. We talked about dice. Uh, what else do we have to talk about? Oh, uh, we also have to talk about spirit papers. So um, uh, in the mythology, they are held in place. They're paralyzed in place by these paper talismans that you stick onto their foreheads. And uh, the reason why they just stay in place is because they're enchanted with a spell. So we made up our own version of that, uh, and we're calling them spirit papers because we don't want to use like you know any terminology that might invoke uh, you know that spir spiritual side of stuff, uh, mm -hmm. so that you know we don't actually accidentally summon demons. So um, these yeah. spirit papers, <laughs> that would be bad. That would be yep. really bad. Um, so these spirit papers are basically just uh, these mock sheets that the family has to come together and discuss and talk about um, trying to come up with like a motto or a sentence that best explains what their family dynamic is like. And the GM would be counting backwards from 10 as the player characters are thinking up of their uh, thinking up their story or their motto or their um, their sentence, their one-liner, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, once they figure it out, they write it down on the piece of paper and they would use it on the juncture, and that would paralyze them, uh, giving them some time to you know escape or figure out their next plan of action. Um, if they can't think of a sentence before the GM 
counts backwards from 10, then the spell fails and, you know, the juncture is still around and messing everything up. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. I think that's all of the mechanics. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not combat heavy at all. It's mm -hmm. not. <laughs> it's, it's not a story. It's not a story about combat. Everybody can fight if they want. Mm -hmm. um, not everybody knows martial arts because that's just a trope. Uh, and you can fight with a spatula just as well as you can fight with your fists. So it's not really about fighting. It's about survival more than anything else. Mm -hmm. um, and so we didn't want to put emphasis on combat. Uh, in fact, we wrote a, like a, you know, paragraph about what's it's not a combat thing, but you know, it, it's, it's sort of not going to at all, um, be like that power gamer type type of game. There's no min maxing mm -hmm. really. I mean, mm -hmm. you don't get swords of plus one, anything. It's okay though. You can still yeah. have fun. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's a box set. So it comes with all three decks of cards. It comes with two books, the core book with all the rules, um, a book with adventures, uh, a bunch of D eights, uh, one D four for mm -hmm. rolling for the monk cards. Um, and I, Oh, and the spirit papers and character sheets. Hmm. So there's a lot in the box. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. And you know, I've I've seen a little bit of the uh, the artwork that that you uh, you shared with me beforehand, Banana. And I I got to say this this game looks really cool. I I'm I'm really digging the art style that you guys have here. It, it mm -hmm. the the thing that it kind of reminded me of immediately when I saw it. My my knee jerk was this reminds me a lot of Legend of Korra. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's funny. I I made the board game for that show. Gotcha. So, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, lo that I love I love Legend of Korra and uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender. Mm -hmm. And I'm super happy that uh, there's because it was just released, you know, a couple of months, a couple of weeks ago on American Netflix. That there's a lot of people like watching it again and tons of talk about it. So I'm super mm -hmm. happy. Um, people are saying so now we're to get Korra and it's it's just nice to see that happening because it's been on Canadian Netflix forever. Um, and so there's been a lot of people who've been waiting to see this because everybody keeps talking about how good a series, you know, Korra and Avatar are. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, I, I Matthias uh, Bonici, who is our graphic designer, has been just uh, a joy to work with. He mm -hmm. is highly skilled and communicative and timely and please don't hire him because we want to keep him forever. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he is great. And so he's done a real yeah. bang up job on making a whole kind of look and feel of like distressed and old, but still kind of like austere with a little bit like dignity. There's dignity in it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not like chop sake and all sorts of wonton font stuff going on. And then the cover by Quan Chai, Moria, is just brilliant it's uh, it's by far my favorite cover of anything i've ever done uh and i've had lots of good artists work with me before mm -hmm. and then the interior art by stephen Wu and uh jabari and, and everybody else is it's it's gonna be a nice like a complete package and mm -hmm. I, I think that's that's what we're looking for is that that sense that when you buy it you can look at it, you can like it, you can play it, you can put it on your shelf. It looks good there, and it looks great on the table too. So, yeah, definitely. <laughs> now, when it comes to running the Kickstarter campaign, um, you know, I, I, 
I'm sure you, you guys have probably done a lot of work with this, you know, with, with the experience that you guys have in, in designing these games. When it comes to designing a campaign around this particular game, though, I know that the, uh, you know, a, a lot of this you'll, you'll want to save for when the campaign's ongoing, but, but what, kind of, uh, what kind of things do you have in store as far as, uh, you know, just over the course of the campaign, stretch goals, that kind of stuff? Ooh, stretch goals. Okay, here we go. Let me bring that up in a document. <laughs> I think we have, we have a spreadsheet or something. Yeah, we have a we have a thing. Okay, here we go. So, um, you know, I'm just going to spill it all. Uh, so we're co-publishing co this with Wet Ink Games. So yep. it's my company, Game in a Curry, uh, with Wet Ink. Uh, and we've been going back and forth on, you know, what, uh, what we should do for the stretch goals. Uh, a few of them are just going to be like, you know, extra moon cards, which is going to be extra art uh, in the deck. Mm -hmm. um, and we're also going to have a bunch of scenario writers. So we have Morgan Nuncio, who's doing a scenario. We have Kiana Shaw. Uh, Kiana is also working on one of the Chinatowns. I believe she's working on um, the New York Chinatown. Uh, so that's, uh, that's what they're working on. Um, we also have Jabari Weathers, who is doing illustration for us, but now we're inviting them back to do a scenario for us as a, uh, a Kickstarter stretch goal. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have Mabel Harper doing another stretch goal, so uh, we're asking her to write one, and we are, we're also asking uh, Jian Shim to write another stretch goal adventure. Um, and we have a bunch of art prints that we're including. We're doing upgraded character sheets. We're doing upgraded covers, UV spot coating. Ooh, fancy. <laughs> yeah, gold foil on the box, custom <laughs> dice, all that fun stuff. Nice. So you got you got to you got to bling it out. If you're gonna go on Kickstarter, you might as well bling it out. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, right. It, it's it's funny. So a lot of the names that you you heard, um, in terms of our adventure writers. You might say, well, they aren't Chinese, and you're right, they're not. Um, and that's okay, because a lot of our adventure mm -hmm. writers are going to be writing non-Chinese adventures, which is actually super cool to me. Um, besides the fact that Jiangshi uh, uh, are kind of ubiquitous across uh, South, uh, across East Asia anyways, like there's like a Vietnamese version and a Korean version and a Japanese version, and a, right? so. But there's going to be a an adventure. I think Kristen is doing one that's going to be. Uh... Uh, Kristen's doing an LA based one, but that's mm -hmm. with the Chinese family okay. as well. Um, we have Sharang Biswas who's doing one. Uh, so these are non stretch goal writers. We've already <laughs> hired them on, uh, and we were, we're already working with them. So we have uh, Kristen Devine who's worked on North Sea Epilogues. Uh, she's one of the co-designers on that. Um, but now she's working with us for um, for a scenario called City of Angels, Secrets, and Garlic. Um, we have one called uh, Who Says Witches Don't Like Chinese Food by Sharon Biswas, which is like a, a magical setting. Um, we are also working with Yoshi Creelman, who is working on a, uh, a scenario that's inspired by um, the terror season two. So that's based around uh, a Japanese internment camp. Um, and we also have one by uh, Carl Pierre Lewis. Um, so there he's doing um, a scenario that's based around a Haitian American family. Gotcha. So yeah, so we have a few scenarios that are written out already for, uh, for the, the scenario book, the adventure mm -hmm. book. 
Gotcha. Yeah, and then the, 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 the Kickstarter stretch goals will be just adding more to them, mm-hmm. uh, like more story hooks, more, char- more you know, pre- pre-generated characters, more adventures, uh, and hopefully some more interesting stuff that might blend in different cultures. Um, which is really cool. So I, I really think that's neat. Mm-hmm. Davidson925 in chat here is saying that the art is fire. It's, I think it's Ken. Aww. <laughs> oh, wait, it is Ken. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ken. Those of, for those of you who don't know, Ken is Banana's nemesis. Yeah, <laughs> we're rivals. Rivals. <laughs> to the bitter end. So Ken and I, uh, for Big Bad Con, we cross-played as uh, Romeo and Juliet. So I was Romeo, and uh, he was Juliet, but Romeo and Juliet in the sense that it was the 1997 movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, the the Baz Luhrmann one? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, so I was Leo, and uh, he played Claire Danes, um, and we played uh, Starcrossed, which is, again, another Jenga based game mm-hmm. uh, in front of an audience and we were just like pulling tiles and like doing it based on the movie <laughs> so it was a uh, it was a very very interesting performance i think that sounds like <laughs> a lot of fun yes it's me. <laughs> well, ken welcome to rolling bones glad, <laughs> glad that you joined us but yeah this this really does sound like a cool campaign, and this is launching on July the 14th. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. yeah so one week in a day. Gotcha. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, I will definitely be uh, be backing this one. Uh, it, it seems like you guys are going to get a lot of love from the, the Rolling Bones uh, family here. I think the Boneheads will really like this. Um, in fact, I, I already know that my... My Saturday group uh, that that has my wife and a couple of our friends in it would would love uh, playing a session of this oh, every great. now and then. Oh, thank you. Cool. So, guys, thank you so much for uh, the the time that you've given us. Uh, you know, here on Rolling Bones. Uh, like I said, this is uh, going to be a really great project. I'm really looking forward to what the final product is. As we wrap up, as is tradition, you know, obviously you have the campaign coming up, but anything else you guys want to plug, anything you want to drop in here, uh, it is open for you guys. Uh, go ahead. Ooh, um, I'm going to drop in a friend's uh, thing. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to look up their thing first. Sen, do you want to go first? Or oh, um, I don't even know what to say. Uh, just, you know, uh, I think this is what's going on right now is just this. I'm, I'm trying to think of what other campaigns I have coming up, uh, but nothing, nothing in the near future for us. Um, oh, I guess I will say that if you, if you do, if you like comic books and you are a fan of like psychological, weird spy story comic books, and you know who Matt Kent is, uh, we did the game Mind Management and the late pledge manager is open for that right now. Uh, so we, we, it already was funded on Kickstarter. We made over $100,000 to do that. And it is going to be fantabulous. It is a hidden movement game. So uh, a one versus many hidden movement game. But the cool thing about it is we made this th- thing called the shift system in which if a player keeps on winning, the other side gets stronger. 
uh, because that's kind of what happens in a lot of these games where you play one versus many, is if one person is just good at that type of thing, the other team just feels like, I don't want to play anymore because that person's really good at it. But they will get start to get tools that they can use against the other person. And once they start winning more, then the person who lost more now will get tools against them. And this goes back and forth. And eventually it gets into this area where it's like, whoa, the whole game's changed. And now the scenario's changed. And it's a really cool, cool, cool story. And it's a really cool game. So if you're interested in board games, uh, you can look that one up. It's called Mind Management, M-I-N-D-M-G-M-T. Uh, and it is on our, uh, let me find out where it is. It is on the backer kit now for the late backers. Let me just find that. Go ahead, Ben, and I'll, I'll get the link. Um, I'm going to plug two games, if that's okay with everyone. Okay, cool. So uh, the first game is Lair by Tamayang. It's a worker placement game uh, that Game & Curry published. Um, and basically all the players are super villains and you're building out your super secret underground layer and whoever builds out the best layer wins the game uh so that's the first game i want to plug the second game is uh it's actually an anthology of rpgs called distant whispers uh from tuesday night games um the cover of the the anthology is by Jabari Weathers, but inside you're going to find like a whole ton of, you know, a whole ton of different games. Um, and all the proceeds for that go directly to the National Bail Fund Network. So check that out. Um, I believe it's on drivethroughrpg.com slash product slash 317424 slash distant whispers. Cool. There you go. <laughs> um, and so you can find Mind Management, the psychic espionage game on GameFound, which is our uh, pledge manager. So G-A-M-E-F-O-U-N-D, GameFound.com. And just look up Mind Management, M-I-N-D space M-G-M-T, Mind Management. Gotcha. Oh, and I should probably mention where you can find Lair. You can find Lair at GameAndAcurry.com. And it's under our products uh, in our shop. Yeah, that's where it is. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, for joining us this evening. Uh, I'll be letting everyone know when the campaign goes live. Uh, you know, we'll put out tweets and stuff like that. Do regular updates on it. And uh, I'm I'm really excited for this product now. And I, uh, you know, I hope everything goes well uh, with this uh, this campaign coming up. We do too. <laughs> yeah, same here. <laughs> gotcha. Well, guys, that is going to do it for tonight's episode of Rolling Bones. Uh, so just an update on schedules kind of moving forward. There will be no Danishes and Dragons this week as I will be leaving town to go spend some time with my family in North Carolina. Uh, my wife and I will be out of town uh, for about a week. So no Danishes and Dragons and then no content next week. Uh, we'll be right back here on July 20th, though, uh, talking to Mike Cousins from Epic Duck Studios on YouTube. Uh, we'll be talking about specifically comic style painting and, uh, you know, the the ins and outs of that specific uh, style of miniature painting that I'm going to try to adopt for when my, my Batman pledge comes in in December. So I'm super excited to, to talk about miniature painting with Mike. Until then, though, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I'll see you next time. Bye.
Hey everyone, Ryan Howard here. Just wanting to remind you all that now, instead of just listening to the podcast every Saturday morning, you can join us live on Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central on Twitch to watch and listen to my interviews each week. I'll also be doing a Saturday morning show called Danishes and Dragons, where I discuss both D&D campaigns and my favorite breakfast foods and coffees. I look forward to seeing each and every one of you, and you can find links to Twitch and YouTube in the show notes page. I hope you enjoy today's episode, and thank you very much for listening.